Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Hi everyone, welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. Before us you heard Sally Goldner with her show Out of the Pan, and she's on every week at noon on Sundays, so make sure to tune in for all types of queer and pansexual related topics with her. Uh, my name's Trev, and I'd like to personally acknowledge that we are broadcasting on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay respects to elders past and present, and really try to keep in mind what it means to be working, living and doing everything that we do to exist on a land that is, is stolen and with ongoing colonisation happening all around us and how we are even complicit in that with everything that we do. And um, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Devita. Hello, listeners. Good to be here again. Yeah. So today our topic is, are vegan products always ethical? Now, earlier in the year, we did a show on a similar topic, and we focused mainly on the cocoa and chocolate industry and some of the extremely common human rights issues that are very prevalent in that area. Um, now, if you'd like to hear more on that, you can listen to that show in the podcast archive, but also um, the Food Empowerment Project have a really good website that covers that issue, plus a lot mm. of other issues related to um, food supply um, and labor issues. So we definitely recommend looking up the Food Empowerment Project. But for this show, it'll be a bit different. We're going to look at issues that some business models have. So um, not just exclusive to vegan products, of course, but still relevant for some vegan products. And to help us today, we have a special guest. Everyone, this is Jade. Hi, thanks for having me on the show today. I'm really excited and looking forward to having a chat to you. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Lovely to have you here. It's always great to have people from the, from the community on the show. It makes it so much more lively. Yeah, it's also nice to just have a guest so that it's not just us talking to each other all the time. <laughs> yeah, people get bored of that. <laughs> You're actually doing us a favour, Jade. <laughs> Thank you. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> yeah. I guess to find out a bit more about you, Jade, how did you become vegan and sort of what, what's your sort of story leading you to animal advocacy? I have always loved animals since I was really little. Um, I found out about vivisection when I was about six or seven. Somebody used the term a guinea pig and I said to my parents, what does yeah. that mean? And they said they use guinea pigs for experiments. And I came across a book. It wasn't Animal Liberation by Peter Singer, but it was of that era. Oh. And it went right through a whole host of stuff. And I remember reading that. And, of course, there were those Disney movies about dogs getting kidnapped and used in labs and stuff too. And the fact that that really went on, that was my first sort of animal rights issue. And then wow. found out about the meat industry, obviously. So how old were you when all this was happening again? Initially, I was about six or seven when I first learned of it. And then I think I was about eight or nine when I found the first book that I read about it, which was wow. this English one called Save the Animals. And it, it, this was in the 80s. So it felt like I was the only one that gave a shit about this stuff. And I found out about animal testing as well. And I was like, mum, you can't buy that. That's tested on animals about a lot of products. And mum would be like, oh, I didn't think they did that anymore. So I've pretty wow. much had that grounding and that interest from when I was a really little kid. When I was 12, I want to go vegetarian, getting told, no, when you're an adult, you can do what you want. I went to a Catholic school. So everyone else is giving up chocolate for Lent. I'm giving up meat. And my parents kind of had to acquiesce, but mm. then I stopped eating meat wow. after that. And when I was 30, I kept thinking veganism's too hard, it's too weird, it's, there's no products out there. I actually started doing roller derby. Oh, cool. And a few of the girls in the league were vegan, and I thought, okay, you're not the pale, skinny, sickly people that <laughs> everyone says you are, you're actual athletes. 
and you're vegan. And it was just as that was starting to get really prominent in the community. And then I went, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to give it a go. I did the vegan easy challenge mm. and I went, I'm just going to stick with that. And, of course, I'm, by that stage I had pet chooks anyway, so I was eating eggs from the garden and not from caged chooks and giving eggs to other people type thing. And I went, you know, I don't really need eggs either. So, mm. and then my 11-year-old son, I've never said you have to go vegan or what have you. I've just sort of tolerated that. My 11-year-old son quite some time ago said, I'm going vegetarian. And mm. I went, cool. And then he said, I want to go vegan. And I awesome. said, well, that's cool, but you're going to have to drink things like soy milk and stuff and you can't just do it to get out of, you know, I don't want to eat this, therefore I'm going vegan. And <laughs> now, now he eats most of the vegan stuff I have in the freezer anyway. I get those heat up meals. and Yeah, eats, there's they some great ones. So. Okay. <laughs> That's what I eat too, you know. <laughs> yeah. The Coles ones, man, they're just so good. They're so convenient. Wow. Is this the oldest son that's gone vego or on the way to vegan or the younger one? Yeah, yeah, the older one, he's actually 20 now. So he's doing, you know, he's he's stuck with it for nine years now. So I thought wow. that was pretty cool. That must be great to have someone else in the family, though, that's sort of oh, yeah. like-minded and yes. really understand where you're coming from, especially yeah. for family events and things. I'm sure that must help mm. a lot. Yes. Yeah, on that note, I also wanted to, you know, how do you sort of balance having an omni partner and a vegan being vegan yourself? Like, what do family meals look like? Okay, he does a lot of the cooking and he is very, very cool about vegan stuff. He reads the labels as religiously as I do. He'll come home from the shops and go, hey, look, I found something that's vegan. This looks really nice. And he'll eat vegan stuff as well. So mm. it's really good. I'm just like, don't make me clean up anything that's had meat cooking in it because that's disgusting. Mm. And we sort of don't agree, agree, but he sort of, he understands the ethical thing, but he's not prepared to go that direction himself so i'm like well i've kind of got to accept that but yeah he's actually very defensive when other people sort of say it's just he's like no she's got a point you know that's great it's yeah i also want to know what's um been your experiences or any involvement with activism or volunteering or animal advocacy have you have you had much of an opportunity to do that in life like i said when i was a kid i tried to get the word out i had the animal board in my school which i would frequently put up articles about animal rights issues on and cute animal stories and stuff and mm. that was that was sort of a you know kitty activism thing but i somehow got involved with the shelter reform community online when i was working another job about well, say 15 years ago so since then i've been a bit of a massive pound reform person and been sort of one of those annoying people that's been calling out the lost dogs home for stuff online and um then a kitten wandered into my yard at one stage this was about eight years ago and I went oh my god if she goes to the cat protection society she's dead so I've got to get her into my house and somehow work out what to do so mm. <laughs> next thing I'm feeding this cat I get her a bit domestic we lock her in the house when we've convinced her to come in turns out she's pregnant I'm going, what do I do? Contact oh, Melbourne Animal Rescue. Bang, I'm fostering cats. Mm -hmm. And that's just happened for years. I mean, that's pretty much where I've been at. Speaking out on stuff, I'll go to rallies. I'm not overly, overly involved, but I do what I can. Mm. No, that sounds great. Yeah, like I, I'm glad you mentioned the pet rescue and the fostering and rehab stuff because I think that's really important. And that, in my mind, that counts 100% as advocacy and activism. Yeah. Thank you. I always say to people, get the animals out of those places, but don't take them in there, get them to a rescue instead. They've got more chance of, mm -hmm. you know, getting alive by the time, you know, they're on the stats because a lot of those places, even though the government has tried to reform the shelter legislation, it seems like there's a lot of opaqueness there and I still think they're going to be able to kill animals that they class as, like cats, unrehomable, unrehabilitatable personalities. I've got a bunch that wouldn't have made it out of there because they were feral and it's like, yeah. Mm. And I wanted to know, outside of um, animal-specific issues, are there other issues that are important to you or that you've been involved in? Human rights in general, what we're doing to the environment in general. Um, I'm a big advocate of education and um, pretty much anything... I don't like seeing people who are down and out getting stuffed over. So just, I don't know, 
capitalism in general pisses me off, I guess you could say. Mm. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's a great also the, to see the progression from the animal board you've had, you know, as a kid <laughs> at school. And then now um, that sort of progressed onwards in life to uh, a bigger audience. And um, yeah. really cool. No, I, I always said as a kid, I wanted to rescue animals. And my parents always said, when you're older, you can have whatever animals you want. And one of the first was a greyhound. And the minute I moved out of home with my partner, hey, let's get a greyhound. And we did have a greyhound. So, and of course, he was a rescue. And then we've had a couple yeah. of others. But now with all the cats, I kind of can't right now. So, yeah. Well, should we go for a song? Yeah, let's go for a song. What was the first song you've chosen, Jade? first song that I chose was Animals by one of my very favourite bands, which is Architects. They're a UK band and they're vegan and they've been really supportive of a lot of socially progressive causes and issues for a long time. And I just love animals for just the the sentiment, the rage, the what are we doing to the planet mm. and how hopeless it's left us all feeling. And I think under COVID that's something that's really relevant to us right now.
step up and get the jab. To step out for all things fab. For random chances, dances and cheeky glances. For rainbow communities, sports, arts and families. Because every step we take from here will bring our communities closer to stepping out. Victoria's LGBTIQ plus community organisations are behind you and are here to help. So let's step up, get vaxxed and step out. To find a rainbow-friendly clinic near you, visit coronavirus.vic.gov.au forward slash LGBTIQ. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. 20 Years on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. 20 Years on the Inside. I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcasts. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. A lot of the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app. Hello listeners, welcome back to Freedom of Species. You just heard Animals by Architects. Oh, and just a quick um, disclaimer to our listeners. If you hear snoring in the background, it's not one of us. It's our foster who is currently fast asleep on the couch with us doing his pre-records. That's one of the pleasures of doing home recording in COVID times. Um, but yeah, uh, another way to bring the animal into the show. <laughs> but yeah, let's talk uh, business models. Yeah, so um, first we're going to look at MLMs, which people might not know what MLMs mean or have even heard the term before, but people probably have heard of pyramid schemes, which they can be, they're not always the same thing, but they can be similar or they can have a lot of similarities. But yeah, Jade, what are MLMs and what does it stand for and, and what do they mean? Basically, it's multi-level marketing, which is a very weasel wordy way of saying it is very similar to a pyramid scheme. A lot of the proponents of them turn around and say, it's not a pyramid scheme because they're illegal, but it operates very similar to a pyramid scheme. With a pyramid mm. scheme, basically, you're not making money so much on the product, you're making money on other people making the money for you. With the MLM, you're making money more on what your downline's doing. So if you've never heard of an MLM before, you probably don't know what a downline is. The downline are the people that you recruit. So you're not just selling your product you're selling the company to them as well. So you're selling maybe makeup or craft products or something else, but then you're getting other people to also start selling these. Now, as a business model, it's fairly unsustainable. Most businesses are aware of things like competition and stuff, and many businesses and franchises, for example, will be mindful of what they call cannibalisation. So let's just say one coffee chain puts a coffee shop up on a street corner in the city, they won't actually want to have another one just down the other street corner because they realise that they're basically becoming competitors and they're going to lose some sales from the first because they're going to start going to the second. It's going to make things tougher for their franchisees. Responsible franchises will turn around and say, no, nah, you've got to be a bit further away from that so that you're not actually hurting our current franchisee. With MLMs, they don't do that. They want everybody mm. to get in and to keep on doing it now, particularly under COVID right now. Mm. Everybody's a bit worried about their income. A lot of people have lost jobs. There's less disposable or discretionary income to go around. So you've got less people able to buy luxury items like craft products, makeup, expensive skincare, smelly stuff that looks pretty around your house but doesn't really serve a functional <laughs> purpose, that sort mm. of thing. A lot of those products themselves are actually quite expensive for your average consumer. So yeah. we're not talking yeah. the skincare you'd get in a supermarket, for example. We're talking mm. the sort of higher end stuff that you get at, say, Mecca or Sephora or a My account, for example. Now, To give people more of an idea on that, I guess, what are some of the MLM businesses, the names of them that people might know from vegan products or even are there any completely vegan MLM businesses as well? 
I don't know of any that are exclusively vegan other than Arbonne, which sells a range of products ranging from makeup to health supplements and even like yoga gear and stuff like that. It's mm. all around their branding of a healthy lifestyle that's natural and a bit chic and a bit luxe, but not too much. So Avon claimed to be cruelty free, which suckered in mm. a lot of people. They used Reese Witherspoon, who one of her big hit movies was Legally Blonde too, where there was a Oh my God, there's a two? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> She rescues her dog's mum from an animal laboratory that tests on animals. Oh, well, and they that's... then change the law to stop animal testing in America. Oh, well, oh, wow. that's a it's... movie to watch this weekend. Yeah, <laughs> no. it's very, very cute. So, but yeah, Reese Witherspoon was in that movie that was very anti-animal testing, and mm. then. She was the cover girl for Avon. So a lot of people went, cool, Avon's not tested on animals because Reese Witherspoon would not put her face on that. Mm. Avon was being sold in China where animal testing was mandatory to break into the market there. So mm. there was a bit of deception there. Another one that claims to be cruelty-free is Amway, which I think a lot of people have heard of Amway. They don't just sell makeup. They sell pretty much everything and anything, cleaning products, grocery items, etc. A lot of it's branded as theirs. And they have that little caveat of only where required animal testing takes place, which means mm. they sell in countries where it is required rather than saying, no, we're not selling there. Um, Nutramedics is another one that claims to be cruelty free. I don't know how that big, how big that is in Australia anymore. Um, I know that was quite a thing a few years ago. I don't know about that. Mary Kay is another one. I don't know about their vegan or cruelty-free status. Um, Herbalife? Is that another one? Herbalife is another one. And Herbalife, Herbalife's a really interesting one because they've gone through some drastic changes. There was a documentary made a while ago called Betting on Zero, and it's about a New York hedge fund guy who looked at their business plan and went, this isn't sustainable. I don't think the company is worth what the share price is suggesting. I'm going to short it. So what he did was he basically was literally betting it on the share price dropping to zero while releasing information about how bad the company was and what it was doing. At the same time, he started learning about the practices involved with Herbalife and sort of advocating for a lot of the people that were victims of Herbalife. And that was enough to make Herbalife scared enough to start changing their policies. Initially, they seemed to start changing their branding, saying we're not bad people, we're not doing this, this is all lies. Then when it became clear that it was, they said, we're going to overthrow some of our policies and how we do things. So I don't think a lot of people are aware of that yet. Mm. Uh, I'm pretty sure they will be. And I think in the current economic climate, there's probably going to be a lot of people lose, losing money on those, unfortunately. Yeah, mm. that's a real shame. And what is sort of the appeal to get into MLM as a business woman or businessman like what is like there must be this huge what sucks appeal. people in yeah what sucks people in basically the companies are very good at knowing who to target and how to sell their product the products themselves that the mlns are selling aren't the real draw card here it's the company it's the business so what they're doing is we're living in economically uncertain times we've got really bad work-life balance we've got a lot of women who usually traditionally would have been staying at home looking after the kids working now and then being guilted about using childcare. So along come these companies saying financial freedom, make extra money, stay at home with your children. So you're getting all these, this combination of things. Then you've got the sort of bit like the 80s feminism of women, you can do anything, you can do it all, you can have mm. your career, have your kids, this boss babe sort of mentality mm. that's really pushed of I'm an independent young woman doing boss babe things and living this fabulous life on Instagram type thing and it appeals to that too so it's got this broad appeal it's very easy to sell this lie to a lot of people that they too can be that person now they often prey on very vulnerable people who've already had significant losses if they're financially in strife if they've had some sort of setback like a job loss And then these things promise more than just the income. They promise vast wealth. They promise nice cars. They promise this lifestyle. Also, the community aspect. 
you can network with other high-achieving boss babes who have the same goals mm. and ambitions and often values. A couple of the vegan ones will basically, hey, meet other vegans who are successful business people. And they also sell the idea of the financial freedom, but the freedom to be your own boss, even though small business people will basically, they do everything from the ground up. They invest their own money in their marketing. They set their prices. They run their own advertising. They'll photograph their own products. They'll set up their website issues. They'll, you know, find their customers, whereas this is all inbuilt. But they use the same emotive language that you'd use to encourage buying from a small business. So it's, oh, buy from my small business. It's like, that's not a small business. That's Arbon. <laughs> that's that's mm. Avon. That's whatever else. That's, you haven't really, you haven't done the product research. You haven't paid for, you know, market research or anything like that. You've been handed this when you've paid that fee and then there's extra fees you're expected to pay. There's extra training you're expected to do this sort of a social thing that you have to do as well whereas I don't know if if I'm making widgets and selling them to my friends I don't have to throw parties I don't have to make a certain budget a month I don't have to buy the new line I I make those mm. decisions myself whereas if I'm in, in an MLN I've basically got that pressure that's coming down on me to do that and to keep paying. I mean, some of them have to pay fees to be able to sell the stuff as well. So mm, the wow. company's making money on that as much as, and on its training videos and its conferences and all that, rather than the product that's being sold. Mm. Yeah. Something you mentioned about vegans, you can meet other vegans this way, seems particularly relevant in animal advocacy movements or um, vegan movements. Veganism is not as established around the world so at around the city so you know we'd love to meet other vegans so yes. is that some sort of a a weak spot that like a pulling power yeah is that yeah does that have a pulling power you think i would definitely say so um especially if people are in communities where it's not such a big thing the idea of having this network of other vegan friends who want the same thing as you do where you can mm -hmm. go to a conference and you don't have to worry about can i have the you know, can I have the lunch that doesn't have any meat in it? You know, when you're vegan and you're with other vegans, there's going to be vegan food. There's going to be people that get where you're coming from. You don't have to have that defensiveness up about your ethical lifestyle choices, mm. you know. But now Another it's thing, sort of used as a, as a sort of weaponized or not weaponized, but yes. instrumentalized as, as a way to pull people in. That's, yes. very, that's a, a thing to look out for. Yeah. And I think, too, vegans on the whole tend to be sensitive to a lot of other social movements. So the language around the supporting the small business, so a single mums, you know, kids can go to ballet classes or what have you, a lot of them use this sort of emotional pull to get people to buy stuff. It's playing on that sort of social, you know, that social concern, whereas, whereas these people are like, you could buy from a big brand or you could buy from me, a mum who's got her own business. So... I'll throw a party for me. You'll help me make my sales. And was your first, I guess, like experience or, or learning about MLMs through the vegan community or did you know about them prior or like, no. yeah, how? I'm just a bit of a nerd when it comes to dodgy businesses. And like I said, if I see a scam or if I, see, if I hear that something's too good to be true, I want to know what the catch is. I want to know how it actually works, how they can make, how you can make millions from selling plastic crap to somebody I'm like how does this work so I did a bit of research and then around that time a friend of mine got suckered into one of the ones starting with A they changed overnight they'd gone from those fairly chill people into being they were like cult members the language changed they have like a lot of cults they actually do have very specific language they emphasize a lot of individual sort of goals rather than a collective thing it's more like you can be special you can do this and anybody that sort of might point out realities like that the market isn't that big to be sustainable it very much becomes a don't listen to those people they're negative they're jealous they're putting you down mm. you're able to do this and it really harnesses something in people about i'm a successful individual we Psychologists have actually found we do have a bias towards believing optimistic 
information about what we're doing. We don't want to be wrong. And there's also the sunk cost thing where people will get so heavily into something where they don't know how to get out and they don't want to admit that they've wasted all this money. And almost like a gambler, they're going to keep on going on until they have that win to recoup their costs. Most of them in MLMs don't. Yeah. That is really sad, like about how they'll chase their losses or like they feel guilty about potentially, even if they don't think it's a scam, if they think that they've um, just failed at it and then they don't want to admit to people that they've failed at doing their own, you know, business thing that they wanted to do and then they'll just keep pouring their own money into it to try and get it off the ground and to try and get it, I guess, profitable for what they're looking at. And that's that's the thing too, the language and the encouragement a lot of them get when they start seeing the light and going, hang on, this isn't checking out. I'm not making those sales. My original customers don't need to keep buying whatever my special products are, possibly because they can't afford them. I'm not too sure what and why. I think a lot of early people starting up, people, their friends want to buy things from them to show some support, but then it's not really sustainable to keep buying stuff they don't need and that's very expensive and you could get a similar product in a shop for. So the sales start drying out and the sparkle wears off a bit and that's where a lot of these companies will bring in conferences to try and amp people up to get them hyped again about, yes, we can do this. But then comes the sort of negging like oh you're not really cut out for this are you and then there'll be it's almost like they dangle the carrot of you could be that person you could have the car it's not quite as glamorous and as easy and as nice as it looks a lot of the holidays that they talk about going on to these exotic locations are things that they're paying for themselves and that they need to have sold a certain amount of products to get into that club, but they're still paying for these. Pro- they're still paying for these conferences. They're not being gifted these things. Mm. Mm. Also, I was thinking, like your process of learning about this and sort of an alarm bell going off in your head when reading up about this, the sort of iffy feeling that you've got, and you being a, a finance nerd and really digging deep when something seems off to you. Do you have any advice on warning signals to look out for for people in the vegan community? Um, if have a look, have a look at what you're actually selling. Have a look at how much of a market there is for the product. I've done most of a business degree, so one of the subjects I did was about going into small business. Look at what your market is. How much market is there really for whatever your special product is when? umpteen other people are selling the same thing or when there's substitutes that are cheaper and that have other advantages. You can say that these magic beans that you're selling are going to do everything shy of cure cancer, but could someone go into a health food shop and get pretty much the same thing for a lot less and with the convenience as well? There's a lot of factors that aren't Mm. convenient about MLM products and people will just sort of, they overlook them. Don't be too optimistic. Everyone says, don't be a negative Nancy, don't be a Debbie Downer. Be realistic, though. Look at how much of a market there is for your product. Don't believe health claims. When I always get really sus when I'm Mm. seeing the health claims that this thing cures everything from Mm. diabetes to autism to cancer, and I have seen that about a few things, and that's one thing I hate seeing in the vegan community. Mm. If you drink coconut water every day, you're not going to get cancer. No, coconut water is great. It tastes nice, but... We don't need to claim that it's going to cure cancer. That just mm. makes us look really bad and like we're a bit culty and scammy and that's not good. Yeah. yeah. I'm really happy you bring this up, actually, because we've talked before in shows about the health claims that are made in vegan movement. That's really problematic. Um, there's this big problem with health in vegan communities. And, and also... And um, pseudoscience, yeah. really. I mean, because yes. we're not really talking about health at this stage. Just to be clear to anyone who hasn't heard us talking about it before, it's it moves from a health discussion to a pseudoscience discussion and to mm. false claims and exaggeration and cherry picking and, and all these things. Yeah, exactly. And also... some. Yeah, your discussion also reminded me so much about another issue, which is about influencers and social charm to certain (gasps) lifestyles that suck you in. And Mm. um, Exactly. And a lot of it, people want the dream so badly. There's actually a podcast about MLMs called The Dream, and I think that's so aptly named because that's what it is. It's this vision of success of not having to do the 40 hours, 60 hours, whatever, hours Mm. in a grueling office environment. You get to be a boss, babe. You get Mm. to be independent. You get to have fun. And 
it's also sold very much as the a female empowering thing too. And I think a lot of people go in for that. And I've seen the language of sort of feminism used against anybody who's a bit of a naysayer about it. So it's if you were saying, I don't support this, this is bad, this is ripping people off. How can you talk down to somebody who's a woman and who's trying to make it in a business? It's, you know, and it's like, that's not what we were really, you know, it's like the people who are doing the things that are ripping off these people have turned social justice language Mm. right against anybody that has some questions, which are perfectly valid questions in a lot of these cases, you know. Mm. The other thing we were talking about, the crossover with influencers and how um, there's a a few parallels. And within the vegan community, there's, there's such a focus on being able to have a lifestyle of being overseas, being in Bali or being, you know, on the beach and going on holidays and eating what you want and drinking what you want. It seems to tie in both with influencers and also with this multi-level marketing. And it's, it seems like it's almost both are in a way preying on the same people because the influencers get it through their Patreon accounts and through in a way a similar thing. I would definitely agree with you on that. And I've seen influencers that, are hocking MLM products and I've seen the inverse too where you've got someone hocking MLM products and they'd really like to think that they're influencers and I mean it's almost like they want that fame they want that it's mm. it, they're very good at preying on things that people really want or have been conditioned by societal values to want you know so I definitely say there is some crossover there and I think on top of that what makes it worse is maybe in the vegan communities there are people that are more susceptible to it than in the general population or it just seems to be and maybe it ties into that pseudoscience thing we were talking about earlier and how people are just more willing to believe things and I guess people do have to consider themselves to be open-minded to be vegan so they then take that open-mindedness maybe to an extreme or to another level and just try and believe blindly in anyone that they think might be leading them down a good path Mm. i think it's quite dangerous and i just i think just something to be aware of these are patterns that go both ways not just one way it's not just businesses or people preying on those people but it's actually because this community of people that are more that way inclined than maybe the general population sympathetic alternative prepared to listen to others and hear out ideas i mean i think you see that in a lot of the pseudoscience communities as well and then often the comeback is well you think i'm crazy for being vegan so why is it so crazy to believe that charcoal can cure stomach cancer or what have you so there definitely is or that horse tranquilizer can cure COVID. yes Yes. Well, I've seen plenty of vegans get into the anti-vax movement. So, and the anti-COVID protesty people mm. getting away from that. But yeah, the often I found that MLMs and often the peddlers of bullshit will co-opt ideas that are otherwise very sound and coming from a good place into something that can sort of get very easily twisted. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. Should we have another song? Let's have another song. Your second song, Jade, what did you pick? I went with Everlovin' by Moby. Um, I know Moby's possibly not the most popular person around nowadays, but I remember getting into him in the early or late 90s, actually, and reading the cover notes for a couple of his CDs and going, wow, this guy's been vegan for a long time, so it was got a bit of time for him. And Everlovin' is just this really beautiful, peaceful, cruisy song, and I absolutely love it, so I hope you do too.
you're a renter experiencing hardship due to the pandemic, you can check now to see if you're eligible to apply for the Victorian Government's new one-off rental relief grant worth up to $1,500. To help you, Tenants Victoria have put together an eligibility checklist. This will make it easier for you to assess whether you're eligible to apply for the grant, which is paid as a contribution towards rent. There are some steps involved to qualify for the grant. See the checklist for more information and visit the Tenants Victoria website for further details on how to apply. Go to tenantsvic.org.au and search for Rent Relief Grants. Tenants Victoria is a 3CR supporter. Ninth Koori Art Show is calling for entries. This is your chance to showcase your work. All works entered will be exhibited at the Koori Heritage Trust. To enter, you must be a Victorian-based Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artist aged 17 years and older. There is a total prize pool of $32,000. Go online to kooriheritagetrust.com.au to register. Entries close on the 1st of November. Koori Heritage Trust is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back, listeners. You just heard Ever Loving by Moby. We are talking to Jade about MLMs and we have outlined what the problem is. We have what how they work, uh, some problematic aspects with it. And now, how can we deal with it? What do we do? Yeah. Jade, do you have any any stories you hear that might be illustrative of what it does, how people respond to it, uh, what happens? I haven't been suckered in by one before. I haven't done it. I mean, every now and then at some very low points where I've been unemployed or what have you, I have thought maybe I could give this a go. That's how insidious and convincing it is. And when you're in a bad place, you want to believe that there's some way out of whatever. So... I haven't had it. I've seen it happen to other people too. Um, I've lost a few friends to it. I've mm. had family members who've done it for a little bit and then gotten bored and fizzled out and not made the money and not had the money to keep pumping into it. So it's just died and disappeared from them. But the friendships one's interesting. I've seen people who are very smart, very rational, very financially savvy a lot of the time who normally would be the people I'd think, why are you getting hooked in, get hooked in? and start preaching it, they change. <laughs> they start talking about it like it's this new life. It's like a religion to them. And if you compare them to some of the cults that have been around, it does have that sort of vibe to it a lot of the time and it has mm. its own language. It has its own community. Anybody who's on the outers or who's questioning it, they're a naysayer. They're trying to mess up your dream. They don't want what's best for you. They're just jealous or what have you. And I imagine for those people, it gets very insular and very lonely. And then once they leave, they find that all those friends and people they networked with don't want anything to do with them because they're not part of the the tribe, you know. So there definitely is an aspect of that. Like so, when they're when they're doing that, I guess it's almost like it's taking over the friendship completely. Like because what would have existed as a friendship now is just seen as a sales opportunity. Like, yes, it, it just yes. flips like a switch. Yep. Pretty much. I've heard of people getting out of them and having this huge remorse about the friendships they've actually lost from it because I was so driven to make a sale to get my annual sales up that I'd be trying to sell to anybody, my best friend who couldn't really afford it. I offered her a payment plan. I've had a couple of people try that with me. Oh, if you can't afford it now, I'll pay for it now. You can pay me back mm. over time. And it's like, I don't mm. like borrowing money from my mm. friends. I don't want to do that. And I don't really need $280 worth of skincare right now. So they definitely do that. And then there's also that if you question the friend or you say, I can't afford it, oh, you're not really supporting me. So they're so busy and they're so absorbed with what they're doing that everything is a sales opportunity. You don't it's a hustle. You've got to make, you know, you've got to always be trying to make a buck. So mm. you don't go to a party. You have a party where you present products and mm. sure that might be social interaction, but the real draw is the sales of the product. Mm. And yeah. it's like Maybe that's like one good thing you can say to somebody who is trying to talk you into buying or into selling, 
maybe you can say, I don't want parts of my life being taken over by sales opportunities and sort of stick to that. The scary thing is a lot of them, it is almost like talking to somebody who does have a cult Mm. interest or Mm. an addiction almost. There is often a lot of not reasoning with them. They are so convinced. Mm. They are so hell-bent on, I'm going to do this. I'm different to the stats. I'm not going to be one of those losers or failures. And then comes the shame that that sunk cost fallacy I mentioned before. They might realise, they might start to have doubts, but then they're also hearing that voice that's saying, that means I'm a quitter. That means I'm a failure. That means I was wrong. That will be that was humiliating. Everybody else was right. So often a lot of these people will stick with this longer than they should because even though they realise mm. logically that it's not working out. My best advice would be to possibly gently offer some information Try not to enable and encourage the behaviour. If somebody says, hey, I just really need you to throw this party so that I can pitch. No, sorry, I'd rather just have my friends over. I don't want to make my friends uncomfortable. Mm. One of my friends has lost their job and she'd be hurt if I didn't invite her to a party and she doesn't have money to spend on whatever the thing is. I mean, sometimes white lies and excuses if you don't have the assertiveness to say this Mm. is a load of bullshit and I don't want in it but I still want to preserve the friendship. Sometimes white lies and no committal and no enabling the behaviour is a good thing. I have bought from a couple of friends that really pitched it and what I initially, silly me, thought that maybe that actually was a friendship and they were using that to sort of have an excuse to have, you know, hang out or chat with me, but it sort of became the other way around. Chatting to me was the excuse to sell stuff to me. And then the minute I stopped was abandoned and it was like, wow, okay, I can see what's happened there with the friendship. But one of these people was actually a really decent person and probably there's a lot of shame associated once you realise and step away that you've treated people like this. And then there's that embarrassment of, well, I can't go back and talk to this person. So perhaps reach out to people that you might have lost once you know that they're out of it. They probably mm-hmm. are quite lonely and would mind reigniting some of those friendships as long as they haven't entered another MLM and want to pitch something else to you. Mm. Please don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) With the people that you know that have done it for a few years and then stopped, um, have they been able to, do you think, get their old friendships back on track or were some of them gone for good? In every case, everybody I know who's done it has basically disappeared off the face of the earth and it's almost like the humiliation of having failed and I'm using air quotes when I'm saying failed because it isn't a failure. It is not set up for everybody to succeed. There'll be one or two success stories. They're not indicative of the majority of people's experiences with them. They're that 1% that everyone likes to look at as that could be me. Um, Mm. Basically, what's happened is I don't think they know how to recoup the friendships or Mm. reconnect with people after it's happened. I've heard of families that things have gotten very awkward. Family is possibly a little bit Mm. harder to entirely break away from than friends, but I have heard it's made things a bit dicey for some families as well. Yeah, and that's a really good point, I guess, for people to think of. These MLM businesses are going to be trying to promote and sell the fact that all of your friends can be potential networks. Our warning to people is to flip it and say, well, that also means that you could potentially lose all your friendships and all of your connections because they become either made or missed sales and that's it. And that you actually are sacrificing potentially that whole part of your life. I mean, the phrase work-life balance comes to mind, but it's not really accurate because work-life balance is more about when you're clocking off the job. But this is even more devastating because it's actually destroying parts of your non-work life by bringing work into it. Mm. Yeah. And the thing is, too, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a big gamble. And I think a lot of people, again, they're biased towards that optimistic information they don't want to believe that's going to be them. That's some loser that didn't really have it in them or that just wasn't trying hard enough. That wasn't someone like me. I'll be different. Everyone wants to believe that it's going to work out for them. Another thing I've noticed too, I mean, this is possibly a bit personal, but I always felt really uncomfortable when people were trying to pitch me very expensive stuff and I just did not have the money to buy it. Mm. There is that sort of classist sort of, I've been unemployed before. I've been in very low low paid jobs. So people expecting me to just have $50 to spend on a bottle of essential oil. I can't do it. I can't justify that. That's mm-hmm. 
you know, that's mm. grocery shopping for half a week type thing. So it's very difficult and it becomes very uncomfortable when that disparity between, oh, you should have this money to spend on this. You know mm. what I mean? There's that because I've got a lot of friends who are unemployed right now. So, yeah. 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 And I was thinking, I guess, from a community point of view, like what you said earlier about how this can cause people to really, I guess, become recluses or just, you know, drop away and bringing that back to our vegan communities. I think that's really important to, to highlight because we we want our vegan communities to be strong, you know, working together and to be building and, and building these communities because like it serves not just as friendships and as family, but it also serves as advocacy and, and, and trying to get a world that we want, like outside of just our personal lives, but politically and, yes. and, and across a whole world worldwide level. So I think there's other reasons why we really should be invested in this as a community and to protect against these things that can be really damaging to communities. But what are the ways that we can do that? Like how as members of communities and vegan circles and vegan communities, like what can we do to try and what can listeners do to try and help people not be falling prey to, to falling out of these communities? Mm. I think as a community, maybe get the education happening. So things like your show, things like The Dream, things like online communities where they discuss it. I think that's fantastic. Try to help your friends out. Try to be, I'd say, be a bit understanding when people get burned by them. They're not bad people. They're desperate people. They've. I think all of us have done terrible things in this when we've been desperate. I don't know. I just. It doesn't sit well with me sort of ousting someone forever because of the fact that they've been involved with an MLM and they might have a lot of self-loathing and regrets and feel very silly afterwards when they wake up to it. I'd take any of my friends or people who contacted me back I would just say, look, I'll still talk to you. Just don't try to pitch me your product and Mm. we're cool. I miss you. I hope Mm. you're doing all right and I feel really bad that you had a really bad experience that you thought you could outlast. You couldn't. You're only human. So Mm. I think there needs to be a bit of that too. I mean, I know a lot of us laugh at these things and sometimes it is Mm. really morbidly funny when you see some of the stuff they're hocking here, but... It's also quite sad as well. So be a little bit understanding, understand that it's, again, it's not very vegan to be okay with human oppression as well. And these companies do prey on and oppress a lot of people and fall into pre-existing issues and problems in society. The sexist nature of a lot of them, the, a lot of them push the diet culture. As vegans, we know a lot of them sell stuff that's tested on animals and then lie about it. The woo and the false health claims, those sorts of things. It's not very vegan to Mm. be okay with those things either. So I'd say not supporting MLMs is part of the interconnectedness that as vegans we should be embracing. Yeah, That's a really beautiful conclusion to the show and really beautifully phrased, Jade. Thank you for that. Thanks. Thanks for being on the show, Jade. Yeah. Um, enjoyed it? Yeah, I really enjoyed hearing about your process of learning about it and how well you can put it. It's been really informative for me. This has been great. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely. It's been great getting to talk about this stuff with someone. I'm a bit <laughs> of a geek about it, so it's lovely that someone actually cares enough to listen. And thank you for doing what you do and getting the issues out there. It's mm. been great talking to you guys. Freedom of Species is back next week on Sunday at 1pm. We hope you tune in with us again. Stay in touch with us via Facebook, Freedom of Species or Twitter, FOS Radio. And if you have any questions or comments, you can always email freedomofspecies at gmail.com. Yes, and we have T-shirts for sale at the 3CR studios. And if you can get your friends to sell (laughs) our (laughs) T-shirts, that'll be great. (laughs) Uh, Complete financial freedom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is our final song? Oh, oh, I chose the final song. We're going to end with the song Man on the Moon by Kian. If you're that easy, then believe in soul. Remember that in me I have an eggshell
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.